0: Father in heaven, we honor you and we praise you as our God and our Father and we just thank you, Father, for your love for us, for your blessings that you've given to us and our families and in this congregation, Father, and we uh, thank you for that. We thank you for the ultimate sacrifice of of Jesus, of your sending him that we might uh, have a hope of eternal salvation, Father, and we just thank you for that. We thank you for him coming to us, Father, and we we ask you help us today to uh, listen to the words of the Gospel of John uh, as we read more about what Jesus had to say to his disciples and to those around him, that we might glean something from it to uh, help us in our daily lives and our, our daily uh, walk with you. Father, we ask that you be with those who have been mentioned on our prayer list today, those who are in need of healing and those who are, are comforting from loss. We just ask you to be with them, help them to be healed and be back with us soon, Father. And of course, those that are dealing with this virus, we just ask you to uh, help them to recover quickly and that this virus may be uh, eradicated soon, that we might be able to get past this and get back to some kind of uh, life of normalcy as soon as possible, Father. We thank you for uh, the new year to come. We ask that you be with us in this new year to come, that we might be uh, healthy and be able to serve in the kingdom in a way that's pleasing to you and those around us, Father. And we ask that you continue to watch over this congregation in the new year, that we might be blessed and might grow Spiritually, that we might be a good example of those around us in this community and in this world. Father, we, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for all the blessings you've given to us. Thank you for our families and our friends. And we just honor you and praise you. And of course, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Ernest had a terrible bout with stomach cancer, and he really doing okay. better, but now he and his wife are in the hospital. Ernest Davis the fourth. This this no, is Ernest Davis. Ernest Davis. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. And they're in a hospital right now? Okay. Mm-hmm. Right there from Chestnut Drive, so some may know them from Chestnut Drive. Okay. All right. Another one to remember. All right. Uh, uh So you can be opening up your Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John, and of course as we've been uh, talking about the last two or three months, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful book, Uh, reminder, a little review each time, Uh, you know, we have the four Gospels, John is a little different than the other three, we call the other three the Synoptic Gospels because they tend to be similar, right, they tend to mention... Many of the same events, uh, not, not exactly, but, but there's, a, there's a many of the same, similar events. They're also in a, in a style that's similar, and John's very different. John mentions a lot of new things that we don't read in the other Gospels. It's also in a very different style, all right? And we know why it's written, do we not? And if you've been here the last few months, you should know this. You should know these verses. Turn over to John 20, and we're going to read it again. Verse 30, and truly... Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I mean, can you you imagine what's not written in the book? You ever pondered that? I mean, all the stuff we read in these four Gospels, imagine what else he did. Imagine what other great signs that were performed that we don't know about. Maybe one day we will, I don't know. But isn't that wonderful? And of course, we read here that this book was written, that you can know about that, and you can have life. Not just everlasting life, but life in this world, life on earth. In fact, it's interesting how we keep reading the last few weeks about things about life, isn't it? And we're going to do that again today. Living water, remember Jesus told the woman in the well. I will give you living water. You give me a drink, but I'll give you something that will have you live for eternity. And today we're going to talk about something else that he's talking about that gives us sustenance in our lives, gives us life. Last week we talked about the insufficiency of the scriptures. Yes, I said that right, didn't I? The insufficiency of the scriptures. What do I mean by that? Well, we know the scriptures are all sufficient, right? We know that we have everything we need right here in God's Word. In fact, we read a verse this week, and let's go read that again just to refresh your minds. Go turn over to Second uh, Timothy, and let's just read that. Second Timothy, chapter three, uh, beginning in verse uh, 16. <clears throat> All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Notice what I said there. All Scripture. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. These two verses right here are foundational, are two verses you can really hang your hat on. Why? Well, think about it. All Scripture is inspired by God. Have you ever, we talked about this last week, but have you ever heard someone say, well, this part of the Bible is not true, that's a myth. There's no evidence. That's a myth. Or, well, this part's true, but we don't think that ever happened. What about that verse right there? It says, all Scripture is inspired of God. And if you believe that verse, then what do you have to believe? You've got to believe that all Scripture is inspired by God. If not, you have nothing, right? You have nothing at all. And I know maybe that, maybe that sounds like a circular argument a little bit, but isn't that true? If this scripture's true, I guess the rest of it's got to be true, right? You can't just pick and choose, right? And if you believe some other part's not true, then that makes this scripture false. So it's a very foundational scripture. Keep that in mind, especially if you're ever talking with someone and sharing your faith and talking about how you, what standard you use to know the truth. Remember, we've talked about that many times. We do, we can see things in nature and creation that make us understand there's got to be someone greater than us. There's got to be a higher being, a greater being that created all this. Where did it come from? But we don't necessarily know who that is unless it's revealed to us, and we have it. Thank the Lord that he did that. He revealed himself. And, of course, we read in the first chapter of John the word of God that revealed that truth came to be with us in the flesh. John 1.14, dwelt among men. So we have all that. We have the all-sufficiency of the scriptures. But last week we talked about the insufficiency of the scriptures. Well, what do we talk about? Well, if you're here, we talked a lot about Jesus, right? And what he meant, who he was, and what he said. Turn over to John chapter 5, and let's begin in verse 39. Interesting concept. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Wow. The scriptures, the the Jews studied the scriptures. They studied the law. They knew the scriptures. They were very studious. But yet Jesus says, you think you have eternal life in them, but you are wrong. They testify of me. Verse 41, I do not receive Honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the law, love of God, love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? He even uses Moses as a witness, right? How did Moses write about him? Let's check it out. Turn over Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Let's see what Moses had to say. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and conception and pain. You shall bring forth children. Who's he talking about there? Who wrote Genesis? Moses, right? He's quoting what God said to Satan, right? About bruising the head and bruising the heel. Satan did one, and who did the other? Jesus. Turn over to Deuteronomy, chapter 18. Let's read something there. 18 and verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desire to the Lord your God and Hormon the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Who wrote Deuteronomy. Moses. Who's Moses talking about? Well, it's a little vague there, but that's Jesus. He's the prophet. He's talking about that will raised up among your midst. Who did Jesus come from? The Jews. The Israelites. Right? Through the lineage of Abraham. So we know that Moses testified about Jesus, and Jesus is saying, you study the scriptures, but they testify of me. So we learn that the scriptures can be insufficient if you don't have faith in the one who it's speaking about. The Bible is talking about Christ, Christ Jesus, who came to provide salvation for us through his sacrifice, that we might have life in his name. All right. So we have to believe the scriptures. We have to believe that they are pointing to Jesus Christ, or else they're they're not going to help us. They're no good to us. You've got to read it. You've got to understand that, and you've got to believe it. Else they're insufficient. Among the miracles that Jesus did was one we're going to talk about today, the feeding of the 5,000. Whoever's heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000? probably heard that. Most of you heard that when you were about three years old, right? Of course you did. Turn over to John 6. We're going to read about it again. John 6, verse 1. After those things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. That's a lot of folks. A lot of folks are hearing about this guy coming out to see what's going on. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. It wasn't just a little portion. They went down to the local restaurant and got a second helping. Sorry, I'm getting a little excited, I know. but I love this story. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. And then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Fantastic story, right? You've heard that your whole life. Have you ever really thought about it, though? 5,000 people just got fed by two fish and, what, five barley loaves? Did you have enough on your table for Christmas dinner? I don't know if you had family with you, but it took you a while to prepare that meal, didn't it? Especially you ladies I know that worked hard, didn't you? I worked hard, too. No, my wife did it. But it was a wonderful meal. It's wonderful to be able to spend that time together, you know. Eating together is a wonderful thing that the Lord has provided for us. It's that time we commune together, just like we do here every Sunday, right? And yet the Lord provided a great miracle, a great sign to the people. Blew their minds! Twelve baskets full were left. How did that happen? Something's going on here. Many came to believe in him as the prophet. Well, let's read on a little bit. John 15, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose, because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Here's another miracle, another sign. Walking to the boat. How did that happen? Of course, only the disciples saw that, right? But wait, read on. On the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Hmm. The people saw something else there, didn't they? However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given things. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They knew something happened. Well, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Interesting. Jesus has great perception, doesn't he? They're not coming just because of the signs. They got something to eat. There's nothing wrong with going somewhere if you know somebody's going to feed you, right? You get hungry. Interesting point Jesus is going to make about that. Verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. People sought to follow him because they got fed. Jesus says, what? Don't seek for the food that perishes. Seek for the everlasting food. He knew the hearts of these men. He knew they had selfish motives. And it prompted him to warn about the food for which they were laboring. The words of Jesus here reveal there are two kinds of food, okay? Just like we read earlier about two kinds of water, right? The water that quenches your thirst for a little while, or the living water that goes to eternal life. Two kinds of food, one that perishes and another that endures, and as we seek to apply Jesus' admonition, to our lives. Let's, let's look at that. What, what food is he talking about? What, what, is he, what is he discussing? Well, of course, he's talking literally about the food which perishes, right? And of course, we, we have to eat to live, right? We have to have food to sustain our lives. But that food perishes quickly, doesn't it? And in fact, that food only gives us sustenance for a little while, right? goes through our bodies, provides nourishment, and then, after a while, we need more, don't we? You remember the hurricane that came through a couple months ago? Came through Atlanta, I think it did more damage here than it did on the coast. What was it, Zeta, I think the name of it they called it? Because they were out of, had so many this year, they were out of names. My power was out almost two days. I have a refrigerator that's gotta be powered to preserve my food that I've purchased. Sure some of you do too. Y'all have refrigerators. But when the power's out, that thing gets warm, doesn't it? And what happens when food gets warm? It starts rotting, doesn't it? Especially the meats that don't have all the preservatives and all that stuff in it, right? Pastrami? Yeah. Yeah, the stuff that you make sandwiches with, that's good. Yeah, so you start worrying a little bit, right? And power's not back on yet. What are we going to do about all our food? And some people might even say, "I got, we've got to move it. You got, somebody's got a refrigerator with some space. You've got to take it over there. Or, or everybody says, don't open the door, don't open the door. It'll stay colder that way or, you know, whatever. I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember, but does anybody here remember before they had refrigerators, the ice boxes or whatever? Yes, sir. Had an ice box, you had to go purchase a big old block of ice, right? Sit it in the bottom of that ice box. Put your food in there. That ice box, that ice started melting though, right? After a while, it was not ice anymore. Didn't last very long. You had to get another block to keep your food preserved. The food that we have in this world dies away, goes away. It only lasts for a little while. It fails to satisfy for long. Soon we are hungry and thirsty again. And just as Jesus was talking with the woman at the well about the living water, that would not have that they could, he could give that she would not thirst. Uh, he talks about this food. Figuratively, speak, figurative, figuratively speaking, there are other foods which soon perish, right? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 3. Let's read a couple verses from there. 1 Corinthians 3 and Let's begin with verse uh, 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world... Pay attention to this scripture. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. it is written he catches the wise in their own craftiness and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile therefore let no one boast in men for all things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. now the context there is Paul's correcting something in the church of Corinth where they were divided Claiming to be of different people, claiming to be of this faction, this person, this leader. But Paul was saying, the wisdom of men is nothing compared to God. All of it is futile. You are Christ and Christ alone. So the food of human wisdom perishes, right? The food of our leaders perishes, right? Have you been seeing any political commercials lately on TV? Me. Do you take stock in them? I mean, they, I guess they work, or why would they keep spending money on it? But you know there's lies all through it. There's lies all through it. The wisdom of men is futile. Only God's endures. The food of wisdom. So, turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes. Now I know our, our ministers have been doing a study of Ecclesiastes on Sunday nights, and it's a great study. Because Solomon was one wise fella. And he has some wise things to say. Chapter 1, Ecclesiastes. Verse 16. Solomon says, I commune with my heart, saying, <coughs> Look, I have attained greatness, and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is also grasping for the wind for much wisdom is much grief and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Here's the the most wise man that's ever lived except the Lord saying it's all folly. It's all grasping for the wind. And by the way, the more you know, the more sorrow you get in this world. You ever notice that? The more things you learn, seems to cause more problems. <laughs> Interesting stuff. The wisdom of man is fading. The food of wisdom is fading. What else is he talk about here? Let's read on. Chapter 2, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with mirth, and therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely this was also vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine, while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. Hmm. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom reign with me whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure for my heart rejoiced in all my labor and this was my reward for all my labor then I looked on all the works my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind there was no profit under the sun you see the food of folly the food of birth and pleasure hedonism the food of great wealth and industrial labor, it's fading. There's nothing wrong with being industrious. There's nothing wrong with laboring. But when you put all your hope in that, when you put everything you've got into that, Solomon says it's all vanity. It's just grasping for wind. In the end, it don't really matter. That's what he's learned. That's what he's discovered. Solomon found no fulfillment. And then if you go on and read toward the end of Ecclesiastes, I don't want to spoil it for you because the ministers are doing some study on that. But well, I'm going to give you a spoiler, okay? He says, the only thing that matters is to love the Lord your God and obey his commandments. That's it. And that's kind of what Jesus is alluding to here, right? Do not labor for this kind of food. Does not mean we are not to make the effort. 1 Timothy 5 and 8. Let's turn over there. Got a couple of warnings here. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, well, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Turn over to Matthew 6. I'm sorry, turn over to 2 Thessalonians 3. Let's read something there. I didn't think it'd be right there. Uh, I'm out here. <clears throat> chapter three verse 10. For even when we were with you, we command you to this: if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but our busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So we are are to provide. We are to work for our food, for our lives, for our sustenance here on earth. But we are not to put everything we have into that. Not going to read it, but Luke 10 talks about when Jesus visited Mary and Martha, remember? And what was Mary doing? Sitting at Jesus' feet, right? Hearing every word he had to say. And what was Martha doing? Busy. Preparing the meal, whatever. Whatever she had to do for all the people there. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But then she complained, right? Because Mary wasn't helping her. Like sisters do, right? Sisters don't do that. Don't complain about each other. But Martha did. You see, her priority was about taking care of business, taking care of the food, taking care of this and that. Not what Jesus had to say not paying attention to what he had to say Matthew 6 says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. you ever heard that before I know you have do you believe that absolutely in your heart do you believe it that's a pretty powerful verse right there seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you He's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, you need to be working. You you can't just sit around and be lazy about it. You need to be providing. But seek Him first. Look for the food that endures. Many people spend much time and energy looking for that perishable food. Well, what food are we talking about here? Well, Matthew 4, by which man truly lives. Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Which, it's the food that Job treasured more than his necessary food, the word of God. Which David talked about in Psalm 19, valued more than gold. Which Jeremiah found to be the rejoicing of his heart in Jeremiah 15. In which in 1 Peter chapter 1, we read, it causes rebirth and endures forever. The food of the Word of the God. The food of the Word of God. In our text here, the Word of God is Jesus. Jesus is the Logos, Word. That's the Greek. Word of God. He is the true bread from the Heavenly Father. Go back to John chapter 6. <clears throat> read a few more verses. He's going to talk about here. And let's look at 6, verse uh, 28. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus actually said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? As if he hadn't already. What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. This is the bread. This is the food that we should be seeking. We should be laboring for this food. He is the bread of life who offers everlasting life. Continuing in verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Hmm. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it, and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of the Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Jesus is the bread of life. And that's a long dialogue he has there with the Jews they don't understand it, obviously. They're talking about, they're thinking about the manna that was provided in the wilderness when they were wandering in the wilderness. Jesus said, Everybody that ate of that bread is dead. That's over with. That's done. God provided then, but they're all gone. I have come from heaven and I am the bread of life. Who eats of me, and drinks of my blood, and we know what he's talking about now, of course. Believe in his sacrifice, believe what he did for us die for us for our sins that we might have a hope of that resurrection that he had if we eat of that we will endure forever jesus must be the primary focus of our labor in which we strive we've said this many times right we can't just be hearers we should be laborers we should be doers of the word we should be putting it into practice in our lives The bread of life, we should eat of it, and we will not perish. Continuing on, verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless that it was granted to him by the Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. It's a hard saying, right? He's telling them some stuff that they can't handle. They don't like it. What is he talking about? Sounds too tough to handle, too tough to deal with. And then we learn also here that there's some that are going to betray him. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. We need to let Jesus provide for us by seeking him first. We need to be laboring for the food that endures forever. How do we do that? We need to follow him, for he has the word of life. We need to know him. John 17 tells us about that. And we need to obey him. For those who obey lead to eternal life. Are we laboring for that food which endures forever? I'm not going to have time to read about it. Philippians 3, Paul has a great dialogue there about the attitude we need to have. Seeking to know the Lord evermore, never content with our current understanding, always pressing forward, always seeking to understand Him better. And then, of course, let Peter in 2 Peter 1 exhort us to diligence in growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Seeking to become more and more like Him. What food do you labor for? Is it the perishable kind? Are you seeking for the food that Jesus provides, the bread that He provides, the bread that was given to Him from the Father who sent Him that we might have a hope? I want to read the last passage in your outline from Isaiah chapter 55. This is the last Sunday of 2020. Talked about a little bit last week. We got a new year coming. What greater time than to make a commitment, make a resolution to know him more. What a great time to do that. Isaiah said, Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. That's what Isaiah said about the Messiah, the Lord. If you haven't made that commitment yet, do it today.